This message was presented at the GYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. I'm going to start about three minutes early, not the lecture part, but just so as a review, because we covered so much yesterday, and so I like reviewing. So when people trickle in, they won't miss any of the lecture itself, but those that came in early, um, we'll do a little review. Good morning, we have the Daniel, um, the outline talks in the back. I really, really appreciate you bringing your child. You do not have to leave the room if she makes any noise at all. I have a 19-month-old and a six-week-old. She's going to do much better than my son does. And so if they cry and scream, praise the Lord. And don't feel embarrassed at all. This is a family atmosphere. Don't feel bad. I want you to enjoy the lecture. Um, good morning. We have handouts in the back. Outline number five is what we're going to cover today. You will also be able to find the outlines on tinyurl.com forward slash Daniel Talks. Um, there, is all, there are all the studies, the table of contents, and also um, the study outlines. When you listen on Audioverse, you want to listen to these talks with the study outline in hand. That way, I'll be following the study outline format. Within a couple minutes of the beginning of the talks, I am going to do a quick review because we covered a whole lot yesterday. So that way, people who are trickling in um, on time they won't miss any of the lecture itself. Another thing is that trying to dress in the dark with two children in the room makes it hard to find your watch. So I can't find my watch. <laughs> I have no idea what time it is, by the way. So um, either someone needs to donate their watch or just be a timekeeper for me. What time is it? 8.43. Um, I'm actually going to start my review. We will open with prayer and our song, okay? I am actually going to start my review, okay? Um, yesterday we left off <clears throat> the major tool, the major prophetic tool we have as an Adventist church is our continuous line of prophecy. I can't repeat that enough. The single most major prophetic tool we have is the line of prophecy from kingdom to kingdom to kingdom. If you recall, and this is not part of the talk, you haven't missed a thing if you're walking in right now, I'm just reviewing. If re you recall, we positively identified kingdoms yesterday, didn't we not? We start from the beginning of Babylon, we brought you all the way to the end. And if you are able to wrap up chapters 2, 7, and 8 and bind them together and make a continuous line from Babylon, come on in, we haven't started yet, this is just a review. If you are able to wrap up 2, 7, and 8 together, we're the only church that does then you have completed a cycle from Babylon to the end of time in an un unbroken chain of events. If you're able to combine those three chapters, which we're the only church that does. And we don't make it up. Remember how I showed you Bible verses that do it for us? Thou art the head of gold. God interprets it for us. God is an historicist. And he made the unbroken line of prophecy from Babylon to the end. If you can just read it, you are, a, a, you are an historicist from the beginning to end. So the two other prophetic, major prophetic lines take pieces and chunks and pops them off in the past, which makes you a what? A preterist, or pop, pop, <clears throat> excuse, pops off a chunk in the middle and pops it in the end. You are a futurist. 
Historicists may mean a lot of different things, but one thing it does mean is you just follow the line of prophecy that you just read that God just interpreted for you in Daniel. You don't have to be some creative artist. You just read it and write down what you read, and that's what it says. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the end. If you understand and believe that by combining 2, 7, and 8, you, you have Adventist's greatest tool. Again, Adventist's greatest tool is the unbroken chain of prophecy from Babylon to the end. And you can do that by combining 2, 7, and 8. That's the key. Now the four tests of bad fruit, come on in. We have outlines in the back. We're on outline 5 today. Come on in. The four tests, one was repeat and enlarge. If chapter 1 talks about papacy, I mean, two talk about papacy, if chapter 8 talks about papacy, if chapter 10 through 12 talks about the papacy as the last kingdom, if Revelation 12 through 14 talks about the papacy, if 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about the papacy, if Revelation 17 talks about the papacy, if Revelation 18 talks about the papacy, I guarantee you Daniel 7 is not talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. It repeats itself and enlarges, just like that picture of those dogs I showed you. It has to, you have to say, where is it in prophecy? Just like that blind man in John 9. Where is this in prophecy? If you're trying to make up some interpretation out of Daniel 7. It's got to be in the other books. There's no private interpretation. Repeat and enlarge. Another one, literal and spiritual Jerusalem. If something is happening in Ethiopia and Libya three years ago, is that prophetic? No, it is not. Because we are living in a time when it is, where is, who is Israel? Worldwide and Spiritual, Jerusalem, which is above. Third, day year. I didn't even get to touch this. That's in your lecture outline. Please read the day year passage. Dr. Shea, in his book, does an excellent out commentary about the day year. You could, I, I, put comment, I put references in my study notes. Day year. People will ask oftentimes, when do you apply day year? Do you apply it every time you see a day in the Bible? Do what William Miller did. Apply it always. You haven't missed any of the lecture, by the way. We're just reviewing. Apply it always literally unless the interpretation forces you to apply it spiritually. Always apply it literally unless the interpretation forces you to apply it spiritually like William Miller did. In other words, you have to make 70 weeks spiritual because 70 weeks does not last from Persia to Christ. It doesn't. You have to make it spiritual. It has to be day a year. You have to make 2300 days spiritual because 2300 days, six years does not last from Persia to the end of time where the power is broken with that hand. You know what I'm saying? You have to apply it spiritually. Do what William Miller did. So day year, three, three tests. One, repeat and enlarge. Where is it else in the Bible? Two, spiritual and literal Israel. Three, day year. And I gave you a bonus one. What was that? Before you left, it's time no longer. Okay? We ought to be careful about 1290, 1335, reinterpreting if the servant of the Lord said there will be time no longer. And I put the quotes in your hand, not in your handout, in the studies online. Several, several, several quotes. Time no longer. This, that was the last and longest prophecy, 2300 days. That's what the servant of the Lord said. Now, this is part of you. We're going to pray. We're going to start, okay? We will pray. We need the Lord here. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, as I said yesterday, too many people have already passed and gone to rest singing that song. I want to sing that song and be stopped in the middle of the verse and look in the clouds and see that little cloud coming in the size of a fist. We want to be there. We want to be living. We want to be standing. We know for that time we need preparation today. 
So we plead with you for the Holy Spirit to begin that preparation in our lives, as you already have, to complete this work in us. We thank you that the Holy Spirit can make things that are complicated simple. For you said the Holy Spirit spoke to men of God moved by the Holy Spirit. So if, you were written by, if this is written by the Holy Spirit and you give us the Spirit, then we can teach us these things. We believe. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, it's Daniel 7. I said that a part of the prophecy, we saw wheels. Right? And these wheels represent what? That something is moving. It moved us right into Daniel chapter 8, didn't it? Where we, our attention was brought to a time and a place. What time and what place were, was our attention brought to when that question was asked, how long will the overturning, the overturning, the overturning, the desolation, the desolation last for? Daniel sees all these bad things and the, the angels ask, how long? What time were, was our attention brought to? This is yesterday's lecture. Time of the year. Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, by faith, we were with the high priest and he was cleansing the sanctuary and our sins. But on earth, or around the, around the sanctuary, the people were doing what? They were convocating, they were worshiping. They were afflicting their souls, or as I said in Isaiah 58, they were participating in selfless sacrifice or help, selfless service. They're afflicting their souls. They were offering offerings, but again, in Re Romans 12:1, it's a surrender of your heart to what uh, offering represents, okay? And they were, lastly, they were resting. They were worshiping, they were resting, they were in selfless service, and they were surrendered. And what place do, did the answer bring us to? Most holy place. And in the most holy place, what was the piece of furniture that was a central piece of furniture? The law of God. So, what place and time did the answer come from when the question was, how long is this desolation going to last? When God's people will worship, when they will rest, when they will participate in selfless service, when they will surrender, when they will put back the broken law of God in its right place. Daniel 8 brings us to the beginning of the end of the great controversy, so to speak. Daniel 11 brings us to the end of the great controversy. And that's where we are today. That's our summary to today's lecture. Now, a lot of this might go a little bit here and there above the heads. It's okay. It does not mean that you can't understand. It means we're just covering so much. And there's only so much we can hit sit through in one lecture. So I have it in my notes. Um, I try to think of a lot of ways to present probably 20 hours of notes in one session. I need a timekeeper. Do you have a clock that is easy to read? Watch it. It's easy to read. Put it up here. All right. So this is the map of the United States. This is the map of Florida. If I had to give you my, my location to a relative in Korea, I'd say, okay, this is kind of where the country I'm in. And to narrow it down, this is the state that I'm in today. Does anyone know what this is? Which county is that? Orange County. I'm telling my, my Korean relative where I am. I'm from the United States, but let's narrow it down. I'm in Florida, but let's narrow it down some more. I'm in this county called Orange County. I grew up in California. I didn't realize there was another Orange County. <laughs> the other one. But where are you, Joe? I'm in this building. You know what this building is, right? It's this building. 
is a convention center. So what I did was I took a big picture and I narrowed it down. Not to say that we're the center of the universe, even though people tend to believe where they are is the center of the universe, but to kind of narrow it down. There are more important, there are important things going in California, Washington State, whatever else. I'm just big picture narrowing down to get someone to somewhere, which is this convention center. That's what we'll do in Daniel 11 today. We cannot talk about all the details. I did write a verse by verse in the study that you can download at tinyurl.com forward slash Daniel Talks. But um, what we're going to do is focus on the great controversy and how we got there from the big picture. It's going to be big, narrow, narrow, narrow. There's a lot of details we will have left off, not because they're not as important, but because we're focused on the great controversy today, which I think is a major issue in Daniel 11 anyway. You'll do pretty good if you go home and just read Uriah Smith's Daniel 11 commentary up to about chapter, I mean, verse 31. You'll do pretty well. And from 31 to 45, you're kind of on your own. But there are enough resources to pick up bits and pieces to put it together to get pretty good details about the rest. All right? So, big picture. Also, I've been using my PDA to use as a Bible. And um, my 19-month-old likes the Jonah story on the PDA. I have no idea where, where in the hotel room it is. So we're back to the written word today. So, You'll, the prophecy is actually in chapter 10 through 12. Tell me in Daniel chapter 10 then. Daniel chapter 10 is an important chapter. We will unfortunately not be able to cover it in detail. But it's not prophecy. I take that back. The um, whole story is from Daniel 10 through 12. And you read in Daniel 10 verse 5. <clears throat> It says, Then I lifted up mine eyes, and look, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen. Who was clothed in linen in the Bible? Priests were. Okay? Now, I'm not saying Jesus was in his holy place ministry in Daniel's time. People will start sticking in funny stuff like that, okay? He's talking in prophetic language. I want to give you a take-home message. Turn with me to Daniel 12, verse 1. So Jesus is in linen as a priest or a high priest. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up. Every time you read about Mike, Jesus named as Michael, it's because he's about to go to war in warfare or in conflict. When you read in Jude, Michael wrestled with Satan about the body of Moses, right? Conflict for his people. Michael stood up. Whenever you see that phrase, stand up in, in um, Daniel 11, you read about kings standing up to take the kingdom, you know? So in other words, Michael is no longer a priest. He is acting as a king. In other words, now listen, mom and dad spent a lot of money for some of you to come to GYC. They're going to ask you, what did you learn in your meetings? And you're going to tell them, you know, mom and dad, I learned about Daniel 11. They go, wow. And so this is level one, the big picture, big, big, big picture. You can go home and you can say, you know what? The big picture is that Jesus changed ministries at some point, somewhere, from priest to king. Big picture, okay? The layer number one is Jesus changed garments. We read about in Le Leviticus, I put the passages, as high priest, you'll see how the high priest would take off his garments and he was done with the Day of Atonement ministry and he rose up as king. So you can go home and tell them that. So if they spend a thousand some odd dollars to get you here, at least you learn about Daniel 11. So if you forget, the reason why I put it in layers is that if, you, if I lose you somewhere along these layers, at least you would, have gotten from, you would have gotten through Daniel 11, okay? So whatever layer I drop you off somewhere, 
yeah, at least you'll, I did not want to do it in order of verses because you tend to try to smash in the last 10 verses in three minutes because you run out of time. So that's why I did it this way. So that was layer number one, the whole thing. Jesus changed ministry. You'll notice in each layer, there's a transition that occurs, okay? That's just a hint. Now, have you heard of that phrase? Watch that first step. It's a doozy, okay? Layer number two is a doozy. And if I lose you, don't lose heart. We'll get you back at the end, okay? This one is kind of a doozy. I, I just want to tell you. This is the reason why I shared the nine, January 9 yesterday. I really struggled about sharing it or not about sharing it or not yesterday because um, it just was a, a skirmish out from Daniel 8 that I knew that it was just making it longer and harder to focus. But this is the reason why. <clears throat> Daniel 11 from verse 2 where the prophecy starts is a chronological order of how things occurred from Persian kings all the way to the end of time except for a couple of exceptions. In fact, it's so chronological that some scholars, some critical scholars say that it's too precise. It's so precise that Daniel could not have been a real prophetic book. Critical scholars will say that. It's just too precise. No one could have said this. It had to have been someone who just wrote about the past. It's chronological up until verse 22. And it does something really funny. It gets you to 22 and it talks about a certain prince. And what does it say happened to that prince? 11.22. It says something happened to that prince. Yea, also the prince of the covenant. What happened before? It shall be broken. Who is the prince of the covenant? Whenever you see prince, 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 in the Bible, I mean in Daniel, it's talking about, there's other prince. In Daniel, we're talking about Jesus, prince of the covenant. <clears throat> okay? So, Jesus was crucified. We're talking about what you're about? 8031, 80, right? Jesus was crucified. So, we got the Persian kings bring you up to time, about 8031, and then it does a curious thing. I told you it's all chronological up to this time. Talk about the Persian kings, the Greek kings, the, the four divisions, and then two. It goes order, 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 stops, and then verse 23 it says something interesting. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully. That is talking about, read your Smith's commentary about the Roman league with the Jews in 161 BC. I know dates make you knock off, but listen here. Why does this prophecy go to AD 31, backs up about 200 years, and then go forward again to the end? An odd thing happens here. There is a reason. And the reason is this. We can open up some more chairs there. Just the view is not very good to the board, that's why. Does that sound familiar to you, some, you Bible scholars? Persian kingdom to about the death of Christ, the, the cutting off of the Messiah, backing up to about the time of the rise of Rome to the destruction of Rome. Does that ring a bell? One more time. Persian kings, some of them who may have made a decree, to the time of the Messiah, about the time when he was cut off or when sacrifice oblation ceased. This prophecy backs up to the rise of the Roman Empire, pagan Roman Empire and ends with the fall of the papal Roman Empire. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? It should, because 2 through 22 talks about the 70-week prophecy. It's the political events of the 70-week prophecy, just like the 
Seven-week prophecy in Daniel 9 talks about the spiritual events around Jerusalem. It backs up because it's talking about then the little horn of Daniel 8. You see, Daniel 11, this proves, one of the reasons it does, it proves that Daniel 11 is a repetition and enlargement of Daniel 8 and 9. Do you see that? If I've lost you, don't worry about it. It's in the notes. In about three, three months, you're going to be reading it again, you can, and the light bulb's going to bing. If this is a 30-second question, I'll answer it. Otherwise, I'll have to answer it after the lecture. Yes, yes. Most of Earth's history, Little Horn comes in verse 31, by the way, and then oppression. Okay, anyway, so the transition between 70-week prophecy, talking about destruction of Jerusalem, and then the little, if I lost it, don't worry about it. You're going to read it, and a light's going to sh shine in about a couple of months, okay? 70-week prophecy, little horn. Daniel 9, Daniel 8. It's a repetition and enlargement of Daniel 8 and 9. That's what Daniel does. It repeats and enlarges what we've just spoken about. Talk to me afterwards. I have to go on, though. Level 3. I told you it's a doozy, right? Level 3. We're gonna, there should probably be a level in between. From Daniel 31 to Daniel 11.45, we're going to go deeper. If I didn't lose any of you, some of you, let's go deeper, okay? From 31 to 45, there is a transition. Those verses are talking about the papacy. Now listen, my boss is a, pa a papacy, is a Catholic. My, one of my favorite nurses is a Catholic. So we're not talking about people. You've heard this in seminars. You should realize that we're talking about the system, right? Just keep that in mind. So from 31, verse 31 to 45, we're talking about the, papal, the papacy itself, okay? Not Turkey, by re repetition large, right? Repetition and enlargement for other chapters. We can't be talking about Turkey. We're not talking about the French Revolution. We're, we're not talking about Saddam Hussein. We're talking about the papacy, okay? Now, from 31 to 45, talking about papacy, I said each layer has a transition. If you look at verse 40, I want to show you something interesting. Verse 40. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. Now, I prove a lot of this in my study, which I just don't have the time to prove. You're just going to have to read. And, so since I didn't prove it, don't believe me. Just jot it down and say, this Joe character, I don't believe him. Just jot it down and study it, okay? But from the time of the end, I said, was what time? 1798? From the time of the end, shall the king of the south push at him? That is talking about when the deadly wound was given to the papacy in February 1798, okay? But I want to show you something interesting. So up until 31 to 40, we're talking about all the activities of the dark ages of the papacy, okay? Spoil, flame, captivity, sword, persecution, tried and white. These are all the activities and murders and crusades, whatever the papal church did during those. It describes the papacy from 31 to 40. Then it says that the king of the south, which is atheistic France, pushes at the papacy. In other words, that's a very mild word. That's like Cain pushing Abel, okay? It means it attacked the papacy, okay? I, I want to show you something interesting. It's not a word I want to bring your attention to. I want, it's a punctuation. What is the punctuation after um, shall push at him? A colon. And then it follows with, and the king of the north shall come again like a whirlwind. The deadly wound was healed. Now, is the deadly wound completely healed today? No. That's a long colon. I was going to name this layer the world's longest colon. But I'm a doctor, and that means something else completely different. That's a long colon. 1798 to 2013, and just the colon. It says, the king of the south shall push at him, the deadly wound, and all of a sudden deadly wound is healed. What in the world? Just the colon for 200 years? 
Here's the reason why. You should read 31 to 40 and never forget. Never forget what kind of nation we're talking about here. You ought to read what it says in the character and aims of the papacy if you forget in Great Controversy. Don't you forget what kind of nation we're talking about. What kind of persons, persecutions occurred. Because we're told, if able, it will do the exact same thing. Colon. And it'll come back like a whirlwind. The beginning part talks about the characters for two, 1,260 years so that we cannot forget. It demonstrates the government of Satan. And then the end part from 40 to 45 tells what it's going to do in our day today when that deadly wound is healed. Once again, the first part tells us what it did, its characteristics, so we can identify it. The second part tells us what it's going to do in our time as the deadly wound gets healed. Do you see that? There's a transition here. Now again, I speak in strong terms, not against Catholics, but against a system. It is, my, my wife and I, we traveled to Italy for our 10-year anniversary a few years back. <clears throat> And we sat on one of the hills outside Rome and we read Great Controversy, Sabbath evening worship. And it was a nice day on the park. And we're just enjoying our day, eating our Italian food, sitting on a park bench, reading Great Controversy. And as I was reading that chapter, character aims of the papacy, I started thinking, honey, we need to get out of here. <laughs> we're sitting right in the seat here. And it, it makes your heart pound. I mean, don't you forget. Don't let 215 years make you forget what kind of character we're talking about here. Layer number four. Verse 40 to 12 are the activities that are going to happen to you and to me if we're going to be the remnant. Now, if you read in verse 44, it's very interesting. <clears throat> but tidings in the east and north shall trouble him. What time are we talking about here? I know it. Good. Tidings in the east and north. We're going deeper now. If I've lost you and I lost you through all these layers, you can take a 10-minute break. I'm going to bring you back in about 10 minutes, by the way, okay? You're okay. You're okay. Don't, give up, don't get worried. But tidings from the east and north. Listen, what kingdom are we talking about in this chapter? We're talking about the king of the... Why would the tidings from the east and north upset someone from the north? Wouldn't that be good news? If he was the king of the north, why would tidings from the north upset him? He's an imposter. He's an imposter. You know, I have a son. His name is Trey. He's not Joe Jr. His name is Trey. Let's say he's Joe Jr. <clears throat> And he got growing up, he got 17, 18 years old, and I said, honey, I mean, honey, let's go out. Trey, you're in charge. Take care of Isabella. Got in a car, went out to dinner, and Trey, here's, make sure she, Isabella goes to sleep, whatever. And then Trey goes, okay, or Joe, Jr. And then right when I leave, let's say Trey calls up his girlfriend, hey, I got my dad's car, I got his credit card, and I got his key. Let's go out to eat. And then they go out, they drive my car, and they go to the nicest restaurant in town with my credit card. And he has my ID, and we, maybe we look the same by the time he's 17, I hope so. And then he shows him his, my ID and my credit card, and I said, oh, Dr. Kim, go ahead and have a seat. And then Trey's sitting there all proud with his girlfriend, about to be seated in this restaurant. And imagine if they sat him right next to me. Then tidings from the north are going to trouble my son because he's been exposed as an imposter. This, this tidings is going to trouble him. Now, there are a lot of tidings from the east one is the second coming. It comes from the east. When Jesus came, it came from angels from the east. But prophetically speaking, there are two tidings from the east. One is in where? Revelation 7. An angel comes from the east with the seal of God. The seal of God is the Sabbath. 
if a tiding about the Sabbath being the seal of God, which exposes a false mark of the beast, do you think that would upset this imposter? It might. What other tidings in the east are there? In Revelation 18, it says, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. Come out of her, my people. And the whole world is filled with his glory. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 43. We haven't looked at the Bible much today. I, again, it's all in your studies, but turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel 43. Let's go look at the Bible. Let's open them up. Ezekiel 43. <clears throat> Phil, can you just put a chair right here for me? Down to go back and forth. This is just awkward this logistics here. Thank you. It says, Afterward he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east. And behold, the what? Glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. The whole world is filled with his glory, and the glory of God of Israel came from the east. The loud cry came from the east. Do you think a, a message that has come out of her, my people, would upset the king of the north? Do you think a message that says, this is the seal of God, the Sabbath, as opposed to your mark. Come out of her, my people. Do you think that would upset the papacy? It will make them angry, and there'll be trouble. Now, this layer talks about two types of troubles. One of the most difficult studies I ever had in the Bible was trying to differentiate between the little time of trouble, what we call, or the tribulation, and Jacob's time of trouble. I've read over and over and over and over again. I just could not understand the difference. I outline for you, after deeper study, the difference between two. And the reason why, and you have to read about it later to, so they can prove it to you, Satan doesn't know the difference. We're told he does not know when the end of probation comes. And his persecution style will continue to the end. I, I quoted you in Great Controversy. Read it when you have time. He does not know the difference. He knows people will confess their sins. He just does not know that their cases have been closed with probation ending. So he'll continue with the same vengeance. And so it looks very similar. Uh, do you see in your outline the two time of troubles then? The difference between the two, do you see in your outline? I have it in the back, outline five. I have it in the back. It's in the back. So, the little time of trouble. I have the references for you. You'll need to look up. Again, just for the sake of time, I do apologize about how fast we're going. It's all in the notes. It's all online. The little time of trouble. There will be some delivered. What do we call it when there's a church? Thank you, thank you. When there is a church, but some are delivered, not all of them are delivered. What do Adventists call that process when only some are delivered through this persecution? We call that the shaking in early writings, right? Some are delivered. The central issue is the Sabbath. There will be martyrs. And there is still some restraint by the Holy Spirit. Come on in, I have the outline in the back. Do you see that? Central issue of the Sabbath. Some are delivered. We call that shaking. But also during the shaking, People are, some people are going out, but people are being called in. That's why Edom and Moab are being delivered. So it's like a reverse of roles. People are coming in, coming out. They're gathering up for this great battle someday. People in and out. Another reason why I know that they cannot be talking about literal interpretation is there's no such thing as Moab anymore. Jordan is not the descendants of Moab, by the way. There's been no Moab for a thousand years, by the way. Okay? Just as a side note. The second time of trouble, or what we call Jacob's time of trouble, the central issue is still the Sabbath. That's Great Controversy chapter 39 as opposed to Great Controversy chapter 38. The people are already gathered. No one will be killed, but there's no restraint by the Holy Spirit any longer. 
Now I put some study questions at the end of the study in the appendix, not in your handout, but online. So that if you answer the question, it'll help you differentiate between the two. It's very challenging, believe it or not, between 38 and 39 differences because they're very similar. But anyway, those are the two. There's a purpose for the two. The first one is to shake out and to draw in. The second one, we're going to talk about the great controversy. Why would Jesus close probation and have any kind of trial? Why doesn't it just end it right there? Level five, the great controversy. When you look at chapter 11, verse 45, and 12, verse 1, you read about it. It cannot be chronological. I said there's two blips. One was verse 22 and 23, where it backs up. It cannot be chronological in 11.45 and 12.1. Why do I say it? Do you see 11.45 and 12.1? And can someone out there tell me why 11.45 and 12.1 cannot be chronological? It cannot be. I didn't give you much time. He plans the tabernacle for the most holy. Thank you. He should come to his end. And 12.1 says, Michael shall stand up. Obviously, Michael stood up to bring him to his end. These are parallel verses. These are parallel verses. One side is what Satan through his army is doing. Other side is what God through his people are doing. These are parallel because this is a parallel of the great controversy. Satan and his forces, Christ and his forces. 11.45 and 12.1 are the illustration. This is how I got you here in five layers. Now you need, those that I lost, you need to wake up now because we're at the great controversy here. So if you missed everything, you can still get a lot from this talk. We're at the great controversy now. 11.45 and 12.1. If I had to put it in linear, slide down a little bit. If I had to put it in linear fashion, if you just logically put it up the other way. If you logically put it, yeah, next page. It's um, planting the tabernacle. I'm not going to talk about glorious holy mountain. There's so much controversy about it. It's in the notes, and you can read about what my thoughts about it are. Okay? He plants the tabernacle. In other words, he makes his attack. Michael stands. There's a time of trouble. And then at the end, do you see that? And I put the verses. So it's kind of interlocked. 12 is kind of embedded in 11.45. Do you see that? It's in that order that I believe that the final events are coming. But it's the great controversy back, and back up to each other. And that is Daniel 11 in layers. I put proof texts. I put verse-by-verse -verse commentary in the study itself. You'll just have to read it for the sake of time. But let me ask you this question. How in the world do we get in this mess? If this is the controversy between Christ and Satan, why are you going to starve? Why are you going to pray that it's not winter? And why are you going to pray that it's not on Sabbath? How do we get in this mess? When it's a contradiction. You know, it's like your mom and dad are fighting and now you get sent to your room. <laughs> what? What happened here? Turn me in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. Not only are we in the middle of the mess, <clears throat> we're going to determine this mess by God's grace. 1 John chapter 3. Now God's going to determine this, but he's going to use us as instruments, I should say. We have no power to determine it on our own. But he's going to use us magnificently. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 11. It reads this way. Keep track of time here. Nine, seven, great, we're doing great for time. For this is the message that we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. To Adam, he says we should love one another. To Cain, we should love one another. He didn't do so hot. Um, to Noah, we should love one another. Jesus' time, love one another. Reformation, love one another. On our time today, love one another. That's been the message from the beginning. But he gives us a specific message. Turn back in verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that 
When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What were these people expecting to happen in, from this verse? They were expecting to see Jesus. Now, Paul didn't. He told us in, clearly in 2 Thessalonians that it must be a falling away, but there must have been some people who were expecting Jesus to come back. So John was speaking to a company of people expecting Jesus to come back. And he had a message for them. We should love one another. You've heard that from the beginning. People say, oh yeah, yeah, we know that message. We should love one another. Jesus said we should love one another. But he follows that in verse 12 with a, a, a how do you say, a, a addendum. Not as Cain. For those of us living at the end of time, the message is still the same. We need to love one another. But I have a caveat. Make sure you don't love as Cain. That's interesting. Now, I don't think a Cain is one of the great lovers of all time. Romeo, right? But not Cain. Make sure you love your brothers, but not as Cain. We learn about the story of Cain in Genesis 4. You find him doing what with his brother? They were what? What form were they doing? What process were they going under? They were worshiping. And what relationship did Cain and Abel have with each other? They were brothers. They were co-worshippers, and they were brothers. People sitting right next to them. Co-worshippers and brothers. Now, I don't want you to start looking at this way and this and, hmm, which one's Cain here? But there'll be two classes of people in the end time. And they will both say they worship God. It will not be some guy with horns. It'll be a worshiper. But Cain hated Abel. It says in verse 12, who was of the wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were what? Evil and his brother's righteous. Now, if our loud cry message is righteousness by faith, it's going to make some people very angry. If we proclaim it and live it, it's going to stir up a storm. You wonder why there's not much of a storm today, actually. But what made him so angry? 1 John chapter 4. Let's look at three verses. Oh, excuse me. Stay in three. Excuse me. So, verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a what? Okay, so if you have a brother, but you hate him, you are called a murderer. First John chapter 4, verse 20. First John 4, verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and what? Hates his brother, he is a liar. So if you hate your brother, you are a murderer. If you say you love God, does it sound like worshipers? Does it sound like worshipers? If you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you are a Liar. So you, are, you say you love God, so you are a murderer, and you are a liar. Turn with me in 1 John 2, verse 9 through 11. Well, I'll just go to 11. You can read 9 later. He that hateth his brother is in... Well, I'll read 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother. So these people are saying, I'm in the light. Does that sound like a worshiper? I'm in the light. But he hates his brother, so he is in darkness. So this person, they are a murderer and a liar and in darkness that want to persecute you. And so John is saying, make sure you don't love as Cain. Don't be in that group. Now, these are people we're talking about, but who are we really talking about? Turn your Bible to John chapter 8, verse 44. John 8, 44. You hear me. I hear you mumbling out there. You know the verse, don't you? John 8, 44. Ye are of your father, the devil. I'm so sorry for going so fast. 
I do apologize. Uh, just the only way I can figure out how to fix, put this all in. And the lusts of your father you will do. He was a what? A murderer from the beginning and abode, abode not in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil is a murderer and a liar. Have you heard the verse, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. He is a murderer, a liar, and the ruler of darkness. So who is Cain really representing? That's his, that's his army in this great controversy, Cain. Do you see that? Cain is just a representative of Satan's actions and participation in the great controversy. Now what is our role? Turn back in your Bibles to, well, take that back. Go ahead and turn your Bibles back to Daniel chapter 11. What does Satan want to accomplish in this great controversy? You missed out on some great talks from other people. I saw the lecture outlines of other um, lecturers about the great controversy. Daniel chapter 11. What is Satan trying to accomplish? You'll read in Daniel 11, verse 28, verse 30, verse 32. He keeps on trying to attack this word called, it starts with a C. The covenant. Now, I put a Bible study about the covenant. I think it's in study three. It's about two quick two-page Bible study about the covenant. But to summarize it, in Daniel 9.4, let's return to Daniel 9.4. Satan is angry about the covenant. In Daniel 9.4, what does it say? And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. I, I can't get into a co covenant Bible study today, but let me tell you, it has something to do with loving God and keeping his... Why is, is, say, why is it that Satan attacks God's covenant or his commandments? Because we are told in Romans 6.16 6, that you serve who you obey. And Jesus telling Satan to get... Not behind him, that's Peter. When Jesus telling Satan in the wilderness with his temptations, he said, you shall only worship God and only him you shall serve. In other words, you, ser you serve who you obey, you serve who you worship. In other words, God is trying to get people to stop obeying, excuse me, Satan is trying to get people to stop obeying God because he's trying to get people to stop serving God to get them to stop worshiping God. Why? Because Satan wants worship. Revelation 13, 12. You don't turn to it. He wants worship. That's it. Remember I told you in Re Daniel 8, what was the question asked in Daniel 8? Who will you worship? Satan wants worship. That's the bottom line. He'll take it even if you don't mean it. He'll put it on your hand and forehead, or he'll put it on your forehead if you do mean it. He just wants your worship. And by, in trying to do so, he'll attack God's law. Now, what's our role? Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Twelve one it says this, and at the time shall Michael stand up and the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, and at that same time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. These people are undergoing persecution here. Satan gave fighting orders 
in Revelation 12, 17. He said the dragon was wroth with the woman, talking about the same period of time, and went to make war against the rem remnant of her seed, who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. He gives marching orders. Who are we going to find and attack and kill? Keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now listen, you can't go to someone's door with a pitchfork and try to kill someone and say, yes, Mr. Kim, do you, do you love your mama? I'm keep, are you keeping the commandments? No one can kill me because I honor my mother and father. You know what I'm saying? No one can kill me because I didn't cheat on my taxes. See what I'm saying? No one can kill me because I didn't covet my neighbor's cow. There's only one commandment that Billy Joe Bob can come to your house and kill you for that they even with their own eyes can see. And what is that? There's only one commandment that they can identify you as a commandment keeper. A person like me can, at least. It's for Seventh-day Sabbath. It's only one. Now, maybe idols, maybe God's name in vain, but the only clear one is Seventh-day Sabbath. Oh, there's one. There's one. There's one. There's one. And have the testimony of Jesus. Now, part of that testimony of Jesus is the, what we call the spirit of prophecy. Please, hopefully there's no Billy Joes out here. But Billy Joe, go hunt down and kill people who are Sabbath keepers or, and who have a prophet. Kind of make you like, singles you out, doesn't it? It'd be pretty easy, I think. Revelation 12, 17. Now, they're under a lot of persecution. There's a time of trouble. Whose time of trouble does Jeremiah 30 say this is compared to? Jacob's time of trouble. That word Jacob <clears throat> is Jacob. It means supplanter. Take the place of. You remember when he was coming out of the womb, whose heel was he holding on to? Esau. And then Esau, after he was ripped off a second time, said, surely you've been named the right name, supplanter, because you supplanted me twice. You took my birthright through porridge, and you took it again through a blind dad. Your name is supplanter, we're told. Hosea says he did it. After the time of trouble, his name was changed from Jacob, so planter, to Israel. What does that mean? Overcomer. He became a supplanter to an overcomer. But you know, Jacob wasn't the first supplanter. Do you know who the first supplanter was? Deceiver to get something? Do you remember a story in Genesis 3.15, more like a promise? Let's turn to it. Genesis 3.15. We don't have to hurry that much. Genesis 3.15. I have plenty of time now. Genesis 3.15. It says this. <clears throat> and I will put an enmity between thee, who's he talking about? The serpent, but specifically Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. I told you Jacob means Yaakov. That word heel is simply akab. Shall bruise your head, his head, shall bruise his heel. Akab. Same root word. Because it was symbolic of Satan being able to snatch up and bruise Jesus just a little bit, supplanting the kingdom, supplanting it from Adam's authority, you know, by trickery. You see what's happening here in Jacob's time of trouble? His name is being changed from Jacob to Israel. Before the eyes of men and angels, the world and universe will see a generation of people 
who have been transformed from the kingdom of the supplanter to the kingdom of the overcomer. And this great controversy will be ended. And then will the end come. You see, there's no reason for Jacob's time of trouble otherwise. Jacob's time of trouble proves, <clears throat> proves that there must be a great controversy to be settled. Otherwise, it's ridiculous. Why would God allow people to go through that kind of privation, starving, hunger, sadness, almost at the point of madness, thinking, man, if I knew this would occur, I may have never done it, but I've gone too far. Why would God do this? And then on top of it, not even let them be killed. Believe it or not, during this time of trouble, killing will be a merciful thing, believe it or not. You won't be. But just because of, whew, I'm not dead. Why would God allow his people that he loves so much, his cherished possession, the apple of his eye on earth, we're told, to go through this? This controversy must end. It cannot rise a second time. The whole universe not, needs not to see one, not two, not three people. It needs to see a generation of people transplanted from the kingdom of the supplanter to the kingdom of the, of the overcomer. That's our great controversy today. That's our story. Let's bow our heads. I have some announcements. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father, we'd like to thank you for being, allowing us to play a part in this great controversy, but even as I say that, I have no idea what lies ahead. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you he gives us enough grace today to get through the trials today. And with that endowment of that promise, we know he'll give us enough grace for tomorrow. No matter the trial, no matter the hardship, I'd rather stand at the doorstep of Jesus' kingdom than be a king in the kingdom of Satan. Father in heaven, in the quietness on our knees, in our prayer lives, I pray we'll settle this controversy. I pray each individual here may make decisions for Christ on our knees, bowed before you. We know it won't be like bravery like Peter that solves this controversy. It'll be humility like Jacob who knows he cannot do anything on our own. Help us, we are helpless on our own. We thank you, Father, for this place. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.